love the body of Christ. Um, my precious sister-in-law, Barb's just passed me down a note to say I forgot to announce something and I forgot to tell that to Brianna. So thanks, Barb, for reminding of that. Um, we have a combined service tonight at uh, Encounter Christian Church for um, all the churches of Shepherd. So I would love for you to come down. I think this is something we need to really encourage and get behind. And uh, as we see the various churches coming together, which I think can be a tremendous witness for the power of the gospel uh, in this great community of Shepherd that we live in. So uh, come down at six o'clock at Encounter Service and there'll be a combined service there where we'll get together and we'll celebrate Christ and uh, come around the gospel as well and uh, see his great work uh, taking place in our lives. So thanks, Barbs, for doing that. Appreciate it. We probably should have had a healing line today, shouldn't we, for all the coughs, colds. Put your hand up if you've got a cough or a cold or a lurgy or something. One, two, three. We should make this a salvation call, shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> it's that time of the year, isn't it? Things just happen, and um, sometimes it comes on us really, really quick like. Um, many years ago, um, Laurel and I were visiting a family in Canada. I've got my mother's side over there. There's a stack of family over there. And uh, we came across a very small town while we're driving. And um, the town was a Mennonite community, sort of in the uh, plains of uh, Canada as we were travelling. And uh, everybody in this town was dressed distinctively, if you know much about the Mennonites. Uh, the men all wore trousers and uh, collared shirts and they looked very sort of proper and uh, well-ordered. And the ladies all wore long dresses and quite a number of them had bonnets on as well in this town. This is going back in the early 90s. That was quite a unique thing to drive into this town and to see the way they uh, dressed and the way the shops were all pretty similar. And uh, there was something very, very distinctive about these people. And one, one thing that did stand out was their dress. It was this sort of, you know, long uh, long trousers, long shirts, and uh, ladies in long dresses and bonnets. Something very, very distinctive about them. Jesus also wants his disciples to have a distinctive characteristic as well that marks off who we are. And now it's not necessarily wearing a bonnet to church or something like that. Something very different. Jesus wants, us, wants something that can be seen about us that people will know that we are his followers. Jesus wants love. Love to be a distinctive mark of who we are that people will see and they'll identify us as followers of Christ. If you've got your Bibles, um, please go to uh, John chapter 13. We'll just read from verse 31 to 35. Starting at verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said... Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, thank you today as we could just to get this amazing privilege 
to open up the Bible and to hear you speak into our hearts and our lives. So Lord, we just sung about what you did with your son. You asked him to carry that heavy cross, that cross laden with our sin. And here we get this chance to hear you speak once again into our lives. Today we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just bring uh, life with these words, redemption with these words, and power with these words, I pray. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So Jesus has moved now to the final night of his earthly life. He's getting ready to go to the cross and depart out of this world and to go back to the Father. So what he's got to say to these disciples is crucial. It's his final parting words over over a number of hours there. Jesus knows that they will feel abandoned and all alone when he is gone. Jesus knows that fear and doubt will come into their mind when he's on when they're on their own. And Jesus knows that Satan will attempt also to fill them with despair after he has gone. It's a crucial time. This is the Thursday night before the Passover or what is also called the Last Supper. And it's here where Jesus is going to prepare his disciples for when he will no longer be with them. And it's over these next few chapters that Jesus will have his last words with his disciples as he prepares to leave this earth and to return back to the Father. And it's in this section where we see Jesus mention, as we just read before, this distinctive marks of a Christian that the world should be able to identify us with. There'll be something that is visible, something that'll be seen, something that can be actually looked at about following Jesus evident in our lives. There'll be something that the community around about us sees us as as we interact with each other and they will see this characteristic trait stand out as being a follower of Jesus Christ. And this character trait will be the love of Christ demonstrated and lived out amongst us with each other. The love of of Jesus Christ in a believer becomes the foundation or the ruling principle of Christianity. It's the ruling principle in our lives that motivates and drives everything that we do for all of our relationships. It comes out of this foundation of love, not only with believers, but also with unbelievers. It's critically important we demonstrate that just as equally with unbelievers as well. So let's look at this love here as Jesus talks about it and demonstrates it here in uh, John chapter 13. One of the standout characteristics of Jesus' love is its sacrificial nature. Jesus has a sacrificing love. There's a willingness of Christ to make the supreme sacrifice when showing his love toward us. It's amazing the sacrifice he takes. He's willing to lay aside all that is near and dear to him to visibly demonstrate this sacrificial love for us. And if you read through the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, you'll see there's an absolute connection. When we talk about the love of God or the love of Christ, there's a connection always, or nearly always, with the death of Christ as this visible demonstration of this love, of this speaking forth of what it is. Paul the Apostle says that for us in Romans. He says, But God shows his love for us. How does he show it? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's probably the classic one of the New Testament. This connection of Christ's sacrificial love in connection with his death for us. To die is to make the ultimate sacrifice, isn't it? 
You can't do anything else higher than that than die. To give away your life is a sacrifice of giving away your most precious gift. In many respects, it would be a whole lot easier to give away a million dollars. All that might hurt a bit and feel a bit of pain in doing so, but you could probably get that together if you begged, borrowed from the banks or family or friends or wherever you could and you got that million dollars together and you gave it away. That would hurt a lot, but eventually perhaps you could actually pay that million dollars back and you still retain your life, you're still breathing, you're still alive. But Jesus gives his life away, his most precious possession as sacrificial love. And the reason that Jesus gives this life away is because this is the only way that we can ever know his love. It's through his death that we find forgiveness for our sin and it's through that love, through that death of Christ shown at the cross that we then can enter into relationship with God the Father. There is no other way we can experience the love of Christ other than Christ himself sacrificing his life in love for us so that we can enter into that relationship with the Father. Now you or I may not be asked to demonstrate our love through a sacrifice of our lives. Some may, some may not. But let me assure you today, there are many around this world who are doing that. There are many today, even as we speak, most probably are sealing their life and their faith in a testimony of uh, faith in God by their own blood being spilled. It does happen. And it continues to happen and it will continue to happen in the world that we live in. Sacrifices, though, can be at various levels. That's obviously the highest sacrifice. But even within this chapter here, Jesus makes a sacrifice perhaps of a slightly lower level. This chapter here in John is known as the foot washing chapter, if you read through right through uh, uh, chapter 13. The foot washing act of Jesus with, with his disciples. But something we need to think about here is whose feet is Jesus washing in this chapter? Whose are the feet that Jesus is washing? If you read through it, you'll see that Jesus has gathered all the disciples around about him. And John tells us here about this occasion as they are gathered in this upper room uh, for this last supper. And in verses 2 to 4 it says this, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and then went on to wash the feet of the disciples. Think about the ones, though, that Jesus is washing the feet of. What did we just learn about Judas there? Judas is a betrayer. Jesus Jesus washes the feet of his betrayer. That's a sacrifice. Judas would go on to betray Jesus, the Son of God, for a lousy 30 pieces of silver. The Son of God betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Judas, who had seen the glory of Christ displayed on countless occasions, would go on to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Judas, who had seen the kindness and the generosity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, poured out to anybody and everybody on innumerable occasions. And Judas also, who's been the recipient of the same kindness and generosity for Jesus for three years of ministry, now stands in line to have his feet washed and cleaned. Jesus knows exactly who Judas is. 
Jesus knows exactly what Judas is going to do. Jesus knows that Judas is about to leave this supper and go off to the high priest family and to betray Jesus to them, to be murdered and crucified by the Romans. Jesus knows exactly what Judas is about to do. Jesus knows that Judas is a fake. He's fooled everybody there except for Jesus. He knows exactly who Judas is. And yet, what does Jesus do? He sacrifices his love to wash the feet of his betrayer, of the one who will deliver him into the hands of those who will crucify him. It's an incredible act of sacrifice when you think about that. Jesus could have saved the washing of the feet till after Judas had left. But no, Jesus demonstrates his love even to the betrayer at that particular time. Could you or I do that? If we knew what Jesus knew about Judas, would we be able to wash the feet of our betrayer or would we be scheming, how can I get back at him or her for double crossing me? What about if somebody's just simply unkind to us? You know, they don't treat us the way we would like to be treated. I show them respect and courtesy all the time, but all I get in return is contempt and disrespect. All they do is treat me like a nobody. They act as though I'm not even there at times. They make fun of me and belittle me. Their best jokes is when I make mistakes and make a big fool of myself and they belly laugh all they can at me. What do I do then? Do I love them? Would I go wash their feet? Would I sacrifice my love for those people? Or the world would tell us, forget about them. If if they're going to make fun of you like that, just move on to greener pastures and just don't let them trample on your love like that. That's what the world would tell us to do. Jesus sacrificially demonstrates his love by washing the feet of Judas, his betrayer. In many respects, his murderer. Not only is Jesus' love sacrificial, but it's marked with humility and servanthood. What Jesus does here in John chapter 13 totally stuns the disciples. If we had been there, I think their jaws would have dropped to the ground when Jesus began to carry out the act that he was carrying out. They're slowly coming to the understanding that Jesus is the Lord of life. He's the creator of the universe. Jesus is the one who holds all power and authority. Jesus, they've seen, speaks to the wind and the waves and tells them to be still. These are the many things that these disciples have experienced in walking with Jesus around Palestine. And yet, this same glorious Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, humbly serves these disciples by carrying out the most lowliest task a bottom-rung slave carries out when he's first starting on his apprenticeship in the slave world. This is the Lord of life, taking the lowest of the low positions. Here they are, gathered in the upper room, laying down traditionally as they would around an eating mat or something like that. They've been walking around dirty, dusty Palestine for days. We can only imagine what their feet are like. It's probably a mixture of dark brown and black and grime that's sort of glued into the cracks of their skin. It's probably a disgusting sight. And what's supposed to happen in this situation is the most basic of slaves is meant to slip in really quietly, unnoticed-like, And just very carefully take their feet and wash them and clean them. Just to be totally seen but not heard. Just just do it quietly in the background. 
Everybody knows this is a degrading job. Everybody there would know, hang on, this is a job for the lowest of the low. He is assigned to this task. But here we find Jesus humbly serving his disciples, preparing them for a life of humble service, of humble serving love that they will need to show to each other in this world and also show to the world at large around about them. Again there in verses 3 to 5, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. As Jesus lay aside his outer garments, it's really a picture of him also laying aside any grasping towards reputation or position in his life. He was demonstrating here humility. And he echoes this right throughout the scriptures. Mark 10, 44, 45. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul goes on to talk about Jesus again and the humility of his personhood in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, so he is God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't hanging on to that reputation. He wasn't hanging on to that position as a badge of honour as to show everybody who he was. But emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility and servanthood displayed in love by Jesus Christ. This is the same love that he urges now his disciples to show to themselves and to this world around about them. It's a humble serving love that we are commanded to carry out. But we are so easily prone and bent towards pride that we do, that's the last thing in our minds is to humbly serve somebody in such a way. It's more like I must be served. I'm the most important person here and really you're just a little person. You need to serve me. This is what pride does to us. And sometimes we can harbour such angry thoughts and bitter plans of hurt towards some people that we wouldn't dare think about humbly serving them. All we want to do is square the ledger. Pride fills our heart and all we're concerned about that as long as I look cool and they look dumb, I'll be happy. That's just not humble serving love. That's just a self-centred person whose life revolves around them. That's the last thing they would think about is serving somebody else. I read a chapter the other day about Mother Teresa in uh, Calcutta. And I couldn't help but come away with this uh, absolute picture of her humility as she went into the slums of Calcutta and reached out to the untouchables. There was no pride about her in that action. She would go there and she would minister to these people whose society had forgotten, whose society had turned a blind eye to. A real picture here of a demonstration of the love of God reaching out into those slums of Calcutta and uh, going to the lepers. Probably the most... Um, degrading of things to do. Often she just sat with them to, uh, as they passed their last hours to die. Jesus will go to any level. 
any level, even the most degrading of tasks to serve us humbly and to pour his love into our lives. And this is the same love that we are called to demonstrate uh, to each other. Not only is Jesus' love sacrificial, humble, serving, but it's also a love that never, ever gives up. At the start of John 13, John describes the attitude of Jesus for us here, and he says this in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Those last six words are gold. Can you see them there? He loved them to the end. That is life-building stuff contained in those six words. He loved them to the end. The other night I was coming home on the plane and the cabin was dark and the people were sleeping and I was reading my Bible. And my eyes fixed on a passage in Galatians. And it just simply said that I am his son. He is my father. And it brought me to tears. I probably read over that countless times. It's just amazing how God takes sometimes those simplest things and this is just one of those passages. This is just one of those groups of words. He loved them to the end. He doesn't give up. He doesn't walk away. He loves to the end. I'm prone to give up. We're all prone to give up. But he loves to the end. He doesn't have a get out clause. Well, okay, you've let me down this time, my love's over. He loves to the end. He loves fully, he loves inclusively, he loves extremely, he loves altogether. He loved them to the end. He didn't give up. He didn't walk away. He loves them to the end. That is stunning. God doesn't give up. It's a never-stopping love. It's a never-ending love. Jesus loves us fully, completely and totally. Guys, you need to read your Bibles. You need to read your Bibles. You need to alight your eyes upon those words sometimes and stop and think about what he's saying. God will melt us at times when he just brings to life those words. And you won't get that unless you're reading your Bibles. I'll fail and I'll fall and I'll fail and I'll fall so often that I'll lose count. 
But regardless of how many times I fail and fall, he loves me to the end. He loves me to the end. He loves me to my last breath, but that's not my end. Then his love goes to a whole new level in eternity. And his love will never end and his love will continually increase. And if you or I should turn our back on that love now by our own choice whilst on this earth, we will never, ever get to experience that love beyond this life. Do not turn your back on the love that never ends. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gives us the same ability to love each other without ever giving up. We can do that. He supplies grace every day in the most difficult of conditions, the most difficult of situations. He will give grace to love those who are unlovely, those who are unlovable. This is what he does. And this is the same love that Jesus shows, a love that never gives up. This love of Jesus also is attractional. There's something about this love that is magnetic. There's something about this love that shows something or has something on display. He says it here in 34, 35, particularly verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have this love for one another. As this love is carried out between us, people will know that we are followers of Jesus. It will be a distinctive mark about us that is totally different to the rest of this world. This is a tremendous witnessing tool. This is a tremendous evangelistic tool in our lives to display the love of Christ out through us. Because he says there, as the people see this love, they will know that we are his disciples and his followers. Sometimes I think we struggle at this job. I know I do. Sometimes I think the world looks into the church in general, not just this church, but the church in general, and they see the same things happening in the church as they see happening in their own street. They see people who are critical. They see people who are nasty or deceptive or unkind or unaccepting or racial or stingy or unwilling to help or selfish. And perhaps a whole host of other things we could put with that. Sometimes I think they look into the church and that's what they see. They don't see this love flowing between us that Christ has placed in our hearts. Sometimes as Christians we are so quick to put people into boxes and treat them with disrespect, write them off. You know, he doesn't wear the same clothes as me. He looks a bit geeky. He's a bit unco on a few things. He's really quite awkward. Well, I won't spend too much time with him. Because he just doesn't fit the cool mode. We put them in a box. Well, I'll just put up with him, though, because I've got to sit near him sometimes in church, but I won't really try and understand him any more than what I have so far. Actually, I'm not really bothered if people make fun about him either because he sort of deserves it because he's so unco. That's not Christian love. That should never, ever appear in the church. Well, she's a bit alternative, you know, over there. I really don't like the way she speaks. She just seems so strange. Have you heard the way she laughs? And she always wears those dippy hats. Those hats are stupid. But she continues to wear those hats. Doesn't she know they're ridiculous? Actually, she's just an embarrassment to be around. If she doesn't turn up at church, well, that's no great loss. 
Those thoughts easily go through our minds about people at times. That's not Christian love. That's not demonstrating what Christ has demonstrated for us and what he has died for with us. But unfortunately, sometimes when the the world looks in on the church, that's what they see. And it's devastating if they see that. It's devastating. It's a terrible witness for Christ. But I'm totally and completely confident here with God's help that we have better things happening at exchange. We have a world that is hopelessly lost. We have a world that is broken under the weight of sin. We just heard before as we sang that Jesus carried that weight of sin on the cross. And we have a world that is filled with pain from dysfunctional relationships. And what this world needs is Jesus, the hope of all hearts. And what this world needs to see is Jesus visibly demonstrated within the church so that they will know by the love between us that we are his disciples. And this can be an incredibly powerful witness that this community desperately, desperately needs. We won't be perfect. God's not looking for perfection here. He's just looking for maximum effort. He wants to see people who are happy to make sacrifices for each other. He wants to see people who are happy to serve each other humbly demonstrating this love. It's an amazing witness that this brings upon the community. I read this earlier this week about uh, Tertullian, who's an early church writer and historian, and the pagans of his time were saying this about the early Christians. Behold how these Christians love each other. How ready they are to die for each other. That's what the pagans were saying about the Christians in their day. This amazing love between them. They were ready to die for each other. They could see something significant and something special and something different. Totally different. Look how these Christians love each other, they were saying. One thing I noticed when I was away the other week and visiting these people in another country was this incredible love they had for each other. It was just astounding. Of all the petty little things that we can get fractured over or divided over, these people in extreme conditions had this amazing love for each other, this amazing generosity towards each other, this amazing hospitality with each other. Just stirring it was to see that. Warm, affectionate, generous and willing to do anything at any time for each other. And this is one of the great things how they witness in these difficult countries. These other communities would look in and see the way they conduct themselves as a community within a community and they're blown away by this friendship, by this love they have for each other. And they actually ask the question, guys, what is it that draws you and makes you live the way you live? It's an incredible witness. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here with his disciples, preparing them to persevere in this world and also for us in this world to persevere as well within these relationships and then to evangelise, to use this as a witnessing tool that people would ask the question, guys, how do you get along so well? What is it you've got that glues you together or is able to work through the differences in a loving way? It's got to drive us, it's got to own us. It's got to possess us. It's got to flow out of us, between each other and into the community where we live. So that when a newcomer or a visitor turns up here at exchange, we are nearly queuing up to say hello and welcome them. Because this love is flowing out of us to want to reach out and show them the same love of Christ that's been placed in our hearts. 
It should want to make us reach out to those who feel awkward or vulnerable and show that love that Christ has showed to us. Jesus wants us to do that. He says in verse 15 there, For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Now some of you might feel today like me, I haven't measured up to that love. Probably every single person here in some way will say, yep, I haven't got to where I need to be. Actually, I've been guilty of mocking other people and really I've been more concerned about me than anybody else. Probably many of us could perhaps identify that to some level. Where there's really, really good news for you. There's grace to be found with Jesus for forgiveness. And we just reflect back on his words. Jesus doesn't give up. He loves us to the end. So if that's you, you can come and you can find forgiveness and you can come and find that fresh bathe of love, refilling our hearts and our souls again so that we can love as Christ has called us to love each other. Something I want to continue to deeply cultivate in my own life. Something I want to work on myself and I pray that you too would want to cultivate and work upon it as well. I pray that this community would see us and know us for the love that we have with each other that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And perhaps they may ask us the same questions. Guys, how do you get along? How do you do this? How do you accept people from all stratas of society and you just do it so cohesively? It's because of the love of Christ that he has shown for us and we desperately want to show it to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can come and we can open up, Lord, this this priceless treasure we have before us. God, thank you today that you do miracles. And these miracles, Lord, is transforming lives. Thank you today, Lord, that you sometimes work in the smallest littlest mundane of moments but you perform life changing effects in our lives thank you today Lord that you take sometimes four five or six words and you reveal yourself to us through those words Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would reveal yourself through those words. Having loved them, he loved them to the end. Let that roll around in our hearts, Lord, I pray. Let that roll around in our spirits. And let us see a God who sacrifices, who humbly serves and whose love never gives up. And may that transform us, Lord, so we would have that love flow out of our lives into the lives of those around about us, not only in this building, Lord, and those who are not with us today, but, Lord, into this community at large. And our prayer would be, Father, that you would bring more people into your kingdom to experience that love. That not one person deserves 
that not one person has earned, but that you have freely given. Do this work, Lord. Do this work for your glory. And do this work for our good. Father, I ask and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Sam, you can come and lead us in a song just to finish off. Thanks. Would you like to stand, please?